Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of the Dormant Long Twos podcast. I'm Mike Vorkanoff of The Athletic. This thing uh, is getting revitalized once again, back for the 22-23 season. I'm joined by two guests uh, of who I hold in the utmost uh, respect. James Herbert of CBS Sports and Jeroen Weitzman of Fox Sports. Hey, guys. Was that a smarmy enough intro? Well, you're dormant no more. We're back. Yeah, yeah. But it had been like dormant for a very, very long time. For a little while. Yeah. So we're, we're recording this on Thursday, September 8th. And I thought, what better way to mark the start of the NFL season than by talking basketball? <laughs> <laughs> Take that, football. Um, I, wanted to, uh, I wanted to talk about some of the stuff we've missed out over the last few weeks. Um, I went on vacation. Your own went on vacation. James, did you go on vacation? Yeah. Okay, where'd you go? I went upstate. Oh, fancy. Did they hear about the Donovan Mitchell trade up there? Yep. It, oh. Um, <laughs> actually, I was, I was back here by the time that happened. Um, but we, what did we hear about up there? Up there was when KD rescinded his trade request. So. Ah, uh, yeah. So yeah, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Was it rescinded? That's an interesting choice. I guess. I mean, what, what would you like to call it? I mean, he reaffirmed his commitment to the team in a joint press conference. I guess you're right. Press, not press, press release. Because why would that happen? Press release that had the boardroom logo on it. So that's, that's something. I think we're, yeah, that's my, yeah, I, sorry, Mike. I know you want to go Donovan Mitchell first and then Durant. So I'll, I'll hold my thoughts. No, no, no. I mean, we can, we can argue over the um, kind of semantics of what's the right word to use to describe the uh, detente reached in Brooklyn. And I don't mind. I would love that actually as a segment. That would be great. Um, but I do want to start with the Donovan Mitchell trade because we've been kind of uh, messaging about this over the last week since the trade happened. Um, and I think we've come to differing conclusions on this. And I, I want to talk about that. I, I happen to love the trade. Um, James, I don't want to put you in a corner, uh, but you seem to not like the trade. Love the trade for who? All- I love the trade for Cleveland. I like the trade for the Knicks. And I, uh, I like it for Utah as well, for reasons that we can get into. James, a three-way trade that I didn't know about? Which, which part of the trade do you like? Oh, I, I feel like you can't pull this trade apart without talking about the Knicks side of it. I agree. And that's not a uh, Knicks for clicks or, uh, you know, like, let's just talk about the Knicks because like, they get national attention. I agree with you. I like that the Knicks didn't sell the whole farm for Donovan Mitchell. Like I, I'm, I'm with you on that part. And I, I wouldn't say it's as simple as I just flat don't like the, the trade for Cleveland, but I'm not like as excited about it as I think the like consensus has been so far. Like I, I think it, it can maybe work, but I'm not sure, honestly. You're on. I think you're the tiebreaker here. You haven't yet stated your opinion. Um, you've been For straddling what? the fence in New Rochelle. Where Where do you stand? <laughs> um, no, I like it for the Cavs. Should I go team by team or the Knicks? What are we talking about? Well, I think the Cavs are the team of the most interest here because they're the ones acquiring Donovan Mitchell. They're the ones who outlaid five drafts worth of uh, of picks, basically. See, okay, well, so. <laughs> I don't think it's because I'm a New Yorker. I think the Knicks part of it is the most interesting, which I get to. Um, to me, I disagree. Cavs, well, good. Let's go at it. No, to me, the Cavs, to me, I guess it's interesting. Um, it's kind of a no-brainer. I know, uh, James, you guys kind of disagree. I, to me, it's a no-brainer. It's like you got Donovan Mitchell. You got much better. You gave up uh, yeah, picks and pick swaps. Those aren't real. I don't know. I'm like I'm kind of out on the whole picks what? thing. 
Um, I'm <laughs> only slightly... banking to the top. Exactly. I'm always slightly exaggerating. It's just... And what did that get them? Exactly. I'm always slightly exaggerating. Uh, no, but the idea is those. They're not. How many of those picks are going to be better than a? Uh, are going to be in the top twenty? Right. How many of the picks they gave up are going to be in the top twenty? Um, I don't know. Like some of them are seven years. Like we're talking about. Like these are. They gave them up as far out as you're legally allowed to give up under the CBA rules, right? And that that is part of the reason why I think what they were offering was better than what the Knicks were offering, even though everybody has said, and I understand it, the that like you'd rather bet on the Knicks' downfall. Like as far as I know, the Knicks were not offering all the way out in the future like Cleveland was. And just a whole ton of stuff can happen in between now and then. Like we have seen this over and over in the NBA where teams that seem like a sure thing, like just, you know, shit happens and suddenly they're bad for a year. And it's not like they have to completely fall apart forever and everybody has to leave. They just have to have one really bad year and the, the picks are completely unprotected and bam, like that, that ends up going to the jazz. To that point, I kind of agree. I guess the way I've come, I've changed some of my thinking on this um, in terms of how I look at NBA and team building. I don't disagree to me. The NBA has become more like the NFL where it's almost um, you know, a three-year window. NFL really is like, I feel like team build in two-year windows, right? No, nothing more. There's no such thing as planning for four years out for the most part. Um, the NBA, that was never the case. And I feel like we're almost there. I feel like it's closer to three. I even, I remember talking to a scout about this and he's, I asked him this question. He's like, yeah, I don't even fill out. Like he projects rosters and things like that. He does it three years. Um, and that seems to be, where we're sort of headed because things change so much, like you said, James, right? Because I don't know, it'd be hilarious now if we queued up the NBA from three years ago and just look at the standings and who was where and like mm-hmm. try to remember all the stuff that's happened. Um, what was three years ago? Was that Kawhi? Was that the Raptors year? Was that Kawhi? Was that over? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I yeah. mean, think, think about like Jimmy Butler was a six. I mean, like, like it's just <laughs> all the stuff that's changed since then. So with that being the case, I'm actually more okay and you know putting my gm hat on um if i were involved in that the team decision making i would kind of be a little okay with being a little more aggressive in terms of how you attack with the future because who the hell knows like planning five six years out it just i I think it's sort of um i'm putting a horse before the cart type of thing yeah i mean i would also say like planning five and six years out is hard right? You're also not going to predict the future, even if you keep your picks. Uh, They could just maintain um, and maintain a good team by keeping those picks. And they're still valuable, even without Donovan Mitchell. Uh, You know, I think there's also something to be said, like trading the 25, the 27 picks, right? Or or the 25 pick, um, the value that they would get for Donovan Mitchell over the last three years of his contract is probably going to be worth more than the 2025 first uh, and the value they get from that draft pick and probably worth more than the value that they'll get from the 2027 draft pick. And you have to include that into the equation as well. And I think the biggest like bulwark against all of this is the fact that they have four guys, four all-stars or future all-stars who are all 25 and under, right? Like it's not one guy. It, that they're like, it's not like they trade for Donovan Mitchell and if he leaves or gets hurt, the Cavs are screwed. If he leaves or gets hurt, there's still Gary Garland. There's still Evan Mobley, who might be the best player of all of them in three years. Like Jared Allen's an all-star. Like there's a lot there that kind of pre- that prevents or should prevent theoretically all out like collapse, right? Like this is this is the bet that they've made is that they have so much top level depth that they don't need to just rely on Donovan Mitchell staying or Donovan Mitchell staying healthy. The thing is, I mean, I disagree with you, but I also like agree with most of what you're saying. So it's weird. 
Like if it, like in theory, I think the Cavs are the exact type of team that makes sense to trade for just a 26 year old all-star. They have three guys who are really awesome. Um, they have a, a little window here the next couple of years where they could either plan for t- to use their cap space to acquire another that's guy. A, that's a big part. Try, yeah. Or they could try to um, use their, their draft capital and the guys that they have, they ended up sending out in this trade to get another guy. Right. James, I'm going to cut you off for one second, right? Tell me, you know, the cap stuff better than me, but you want to get in, you want to take advantage before Evan Mobley, right? There's exactly. a, there's a reason to doing this before Evan Mobley to making your swing, whatever your swing is before Evan Mobley hits his extensions. Correct. Yeah, that, that is why, in theory, a team like this should try to get a guy like that. But when you make a trade, you're not getting just a guy like that. You're getting one player. And I, I am not sure, even though all of this stuff, you look throughout NBA history, like the team that trades the four quarters for a dollar, like that is not equal in the NBA. You want the dollar. You want the one guy. And all of that stuff makes sense. Um, under that rubric, the Cavs did great. I don't think value-wise, the Cavs did poorly here. What I'm concerned about is the way that this roster works and the fit. Um, This is a different league. Uh, Spacing has completely changed the NBA on both ends of the court. And on offense, I think Mitchell is walking into a situation where the spacing is not going to be what he's been used to for the past few years in Utah as he has improved and developed every year. The spacing around him has been pristine. It's been four out one in with the, one of the best rolling big men in the game, setting the screens for him. Or like sometimes last year when, when they tried the small ball a little bit, he had, he had five out, but like that, that is how he's developed into the player that that he's been. That's how he's been a guy that's driven an elite offense on the defensive end of the court. He's played for a team that's been absolutely incredible defensively in the regular season. We've now seen two years in a row has fallen apart in the playoffs when going up against a team that has spread them out five out. And they, they've like, got destroyed that way um, because Donovan Mitchell has not been able to stay in front of anybody. And he's been playing next to other guys who cannot stay in front of anybody and who don't have the the proper length that you would want. They don't have the switchability that you would want. And now you're looking at him and Darius Garland sharing a backcourt defensively. I don't know that you can just say, well, Mobley and Allen are great and they play zone. So that's all going to work. Like if we look at the playoffs and we look at the best teams in the NBA, like when they spread you out, like a zone isn't necessarily going to save you. Like Luka Doncic wants to see a a, a zone defense in the playoffs. Um, Just the fact that you can target a weak link. Like that is something that we talk about constantly when we're analyzing these series, how it's so hard to stay on the floor if you can't guard anybody. And now when this trade happened, it's like, all right, well, it's fine because Mobley and Allen fix everything. And I, I don't know that I believe that's going to be how it works out. I wonder if, if they had acquired say like Trey young, who was nominally a point guard in a way that Donovan Mitchell isn't, would people discuss this the same way? Cause I think he has the exact same strengths, the exact same weaknesses as Donovan Mitchell. He's actually better than Donovan Mitchell, but if they had acquired him, everyone would be like, what the hell are they doing? Why so you're you is your thing that, Garland? Like, is your thing that you they should have saved their ammo is your thing that they should have saved their ammo for somebody else. My, my thing is I want to see how this looks and I want to see like, all right, like what can they do with Karis Levert who is now like, Probably not. Uh, I see future. what's happening here. This is, what are this they going to do? No, I'm like, can they turn him into anything? Does he have any value anymore? He was not good for them last year. He also barely played. 
Um, I don't like, he is not a good defender either. That's part of the problem. I, I want to see like, does Isaac Okoro save their asses? Because if he manages to figure out how to shoot, he's like perfect, but he is one of the worst shooters in the NBA right now, based on what we've seen from him. So like they have this massive hole at the three position, they have four really good players. And after that, it's a bunch of like one way players down the line, aside from Ricky Rubio. Um, and Ricky Rubio is a bit less attractive if he's playing like small forward next to Mitchell and Garland. Like, I don't think you're really going to see that. So I look at a team that's like, it's really interesting and compelling, but it is flawed. And like, will they fix that flaw in the next couple of years to have a team that's more well-rounded that can like compete at a really high level? Like that's going to be hard. They, they don't have a lot left after this trade to do that. You are such a downer. Mike, I'll let you go next. You're such a downer. They trade for the superstar and you come bringing out, ooh, the fit and ooh, spacing and yada, yada. It's fun. You're wrong. This is ridiculous. Mike, I don't know. I, I, I kind of I think like you're thinking like, oh, is this going to be what, uh, you know, the marginal move that they won't allow them to win an Eastern Conference final series where I'm like thinking, oh, crap, the Cavs are in the Eastern Conference finals, uh, which is, I yeah. think, a realistic outcome maybe as early as next season, by the way. Uh with the way that Garland can get better, Evan Mobley could take an, an advancement in the second year and like everything kind of lines up because now they have four all-star level players, right? Potentially next year. And that's a lot. Um, my question is like, it, it always comes back to this fundamental question of, and, and this happened with Minnesota too and Atlanta to some degree. And I think they're not completely equal case, but like when the hell do you go for it, right? When would they have the opportunity to get Donovan Mitchell? or a Donovan Mitchell level player, right? Mm -hmm. Like when are you going to get a top 25 guy? You're not going to grow one internally, right? You're not going to sign him in free agency because those guys rarely hit free agency anymore and leave teams. Um, and the next time you're on the trade market, you know, there'd probably be other suitors there. So when are you going to get them? And you might as well get a young one, right? Like uh, Mitchell's still about to enter his prime, right? There's yeah. still room for improvement in a lot of ways. You know what Rangers I like about right, Donovan Mitchell? Right, but I just don't know if the player is right. Like I, I look at this and, you know, if, if he were five, six inches taller, <laughs> then like makes perfect sense. If he was the defender that he was advertised to be coming out of college, then it makes perfect sense. And yes, like talent over fit is like an argument that a lot of the time does make sense in the NBA. Daryl Morey always say like, you can't just go into the superstar store and pick out the one that fits best. Like you just try to get as yeah. much elite talent. And it's possible. not, by the way, it's not a static roster. They can still make tweaks to this roster or big changes next year. It's starting next year as well. My, my concern is that the big change like might have to be like trading Donovan Mitchell or Garland in the next two years before Mitchell goes into the final. What about, uh, because it's so obvious this doesn't work. What now, about that, like a that, flipping Jared Allen? Huh? I move Mobley to the five. We get Jared Allen for a wing. What are we thinking there? I know that's, that hurts you, James. Maybe. I mean, like all of that stuff is possible, but I think right now the theory behind a lot of this is, well, they had this system last year where like you can get away with, you know, having Darius Garland out there next to like whoever it is next to um, Karis Levert for some of the time that they weren't as good defensively with him. It was him and um, Sexton at the very beginning of this season for like a couple of weeks. Uh, it was him and Rubio. And like, if the guy on the perimeter got beat, then there was somebody there to protect him. Like you could, you could get away with Lowry Markin and guarding some of the best players in the NBA. 
like these incredible perimeter players who, if you saw him switched on to those guys um, in Chicago, the, the previous years, you'd be absolutely terrified um, that he was about to get roasted and that he can't even stay on the floor, but he can stay on the floor because Jared Allen is tracking that guy, every move that he makes and he is there. And if Jared Allen overcommits, then Evan Mobley is covering for him. And then at that point, you have Lowry Markin and another guy who's seven feet tall, who is not the greatest defender, but he's big and he's long and he's got his arms out and he is then covering for Mobley like that. That was the theory of their defense. So I think you have to believe that they can do something like that to cover for those guys. If you believe in this team, they've already lost some of that because Markin is gone. I don't know, maybe Dean Wade, who's a little bit shorter, um, can like approximate some of that. I, I maybe well, will I, I want to see it. And if it's not that, then they need another formula, right? Because I, I don't think you just move Evan Mobley over to the five and get rid of Jared Allen. And all of a sudden you're like, okay, cool. Like we've, we've got a wing instead of Jared Allen. Now this is all going to make sense. I think part of the reason why some people feel really good about this is that they have two of those guys. And last year they had like three, like actual seven footers in the starting lineup. Well, I, I think this, this gets to, uh, a bigger point, which involves the Knicks, as we said at the earlier at the top, and which is how good is Donovan Mitchell, right? I think to assess this trade and whether the Cavs should have gone into the three that they did and whether the Knicks should have gone in further is how good do you think Donovan Mitchell is? Because if you think he's a top 18 guy, you know, I think some of those things that you were um, focusing on are kind of just a little res- less relevant because you have a player that good, right? Um, whereas if you think he's a 24th overall player and God, I hate making these like stupid evaluations where you put a number on how good they are in the NBA. Like, you know what I mean? In that range, um, then it's, a, it's probably a little more relevant and you don't go in for that. So, I mean, like your own, how good do you think Donovan Mitchell is? Um, very good. How's that for an answer? He, I love that he benefits from the, um, he is probably like, if you rank them, you probably put him at like 24, right? And it, like and because of that, he then, like, let's say he was 27th. Will we still call him a top 25 guy in these conversations? Because I feel like he's been, quote, top 25 guy for the past month as everyone uh, dove into these conversations. I don't know. He's like a, let's say a tier three guy. You have the number one, like the Giannis, uh, Embiid, or like Durant, whatever those guys, Jimmy Butler types are tier two. Let's say Donovan Mitchell, tier three. Does that about make sense, give or take, breakdowns there? James, you're making a face. What do we think? No, sure. I I mean, I think he's a top 20-ish player. Let me, I yeah, here, tell me if you agree with this, right? He is a fulcrum of an offense. We've seen that he can be, he can generate offense in a way that can lead to winning, right? That's a huge thing. He is a weakness on defense. Um, not many guys have that offensive skill set and package where they can be a number one option. I know Rudy Gobert and the system played a major role. And James, maybe you think they played a larger role in that than maybe some um, Donovan Mitchell fans would think. Again, I'm kind of, I find myself going in circle, twisting myself in circles with this stuff. I'm not really sure where I fall. Um, the defense is definitely an issue, but I, he's he's like a 1A. I don't know. I don't know how you describe, how do you define these things? I don't know. Well, By the I way, think- Seth Part now in, the, in his latest tiers had him as a 3B in the same group as Jamal oh. Murray, DeMar DeRozan, uh, Pascal Siakam, Zach Levine, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Draymond Green, and Bradley Beal. 3B. Yeah, right. the thing is, all of those not all those guys are great defenders. Some of them are kind of bad, but all those guys, I would take them on defense over Donovan Mitchell based on what I saw from him in the playoffs this past year and the, the previous year. So it's tricky because I think he is an incredible basketball player if you watched him over the past few years as a playmaker, he has grown a ton. I mean, the, the, 
the percentage that he was shooting around the rim from floater range last year, like he was just like kind of on one, like he was kind of unstoppable. Like he's got all of the tricks up his sleeve on offense. He's really difficult to stop. Like we have seen him straight up dominate playoff games and playoff series before we saw it basically from like his, his rookie year, the confidence that he had on that stage. But since then, I mean, my God, that, that series in the bubble against Denver where he and Jamal Murray were trading 50 point games. Like Mitchell has even improved since then. Like we don't count the bubble. An amazing. Maybe we don't. <laughs> I don't think but, we should um, count the bubble. You don't, but my point is you don't even have to. Like you look at what he did offensively last year. He was like absolutely phenomenal. Even though, like, weirdly, you look at his numbers, some of the three-point numbers were were down a little bit, but I think he's an amazing three-point shooter. He takes really tough threes, he takes deep ones, he takes them off the catch and off the bounce. Uh, he's not like an amazing passer who makes everybody better by his like pure vision and creativity but he can make every pick and roll read in the book. He can get in the paint, put a ton of pressure on teams downhill and spray it out to shooters. And that's, that was what, what the jazz did. Like he, if you give him space, like he can like just do beautiful things with it and he can give you a really efficient offense. But I think the reason why I quibble about the other stuff is like, like I kind of reject that the idea that it's like, well, that stuff doesn't matter. All these quibbles, because if he's a top 18, top 20, whatever you want to call it player, then that doesn't make sense. But it's like, no, like those quibbles are like the difference between him being like a top 10 player and like a top 20, whatever player, like the version of Donovan Mitchell that is like kind of idealized to me, would be like exactly who he is on offense. He doesn't, it would be nice if he got a little bit better as a passer or whatever, but he's, he's like definitely above average on that end. Now he can be exactly who he is on offense, but then defensively, just be the guy that we thought he was going to be coming out of college where it's like, yeah, he's only six one, but he's got this huge, like six ten wingspan. He is like pretty sturdy. He he's like pretty light on his feet and he's able to stay in front of guys. He really wants it and gets after it on that end. And he hounds guys and he can be like, people thought of him as like a three and D type. Like if he is that guy defensively and then what he has already been offensively, then I have like, I completely love this trade because at that point, it doesn't matter that he's six one at that point, he's like switchable anyway. At that point he can guard wings, but right now, like the, the guy that he has been, I feel like he is a player who needs to play point guard on defense, which doesn't really mean guarding point guards. It means guarding the weakest offensive player and have everybody else on the team be a versatile switchable good defender like he has to be the only weak link to me based on what he's been the past few years which is why i'm concerned about him with garland like that those those little nitpicks that i have they don't impact like do i think donovan mitchell's great or would this have been a great acquisition at that price for another team yeah it would have been and i'm not mad at in terms of the value play it's just like when i look at actually how this is going to work like i think all those little nitpicks and those quibbles like they they do really matter like that's the entirety of why i'm not like as excited as you guys are about this thing you waiting for me mike i just i'm just thinking like i get the the nitpicking and the quibbling but i also think like the opportunity to go into the 23 24 season with all four of those guys and all you're paying is the possibility of what might ultimately be fruitless first round picks. Or, and even if they're not trading a 10th overall pick, like an eighth overall pick, I think that's fine for getting it in your prime all-star level playmaker, right? You know, they get two guys now who can create, who can make plays, who can make shots. Uh, you get to put them around what is now, I think, a pretty flexible and 
uh, potentially well-spaced offense, even if you're playing Mobley and Jared Allen together, because Mobley's pretty smart. He'll, I think he'll get better as a shooter. He's a good passer. Uh, they can put another guy around uh, them to put him on the perimeter. And Jared Allen has kind of a vertical threat that he, I think, allows to create versatility on offense. And I don't know. I, I like if, if Bird this becomes in the a, hands, right? If this becomes a team, like, are, are you surprised if they make it to a finals in, in the next three to four years? You would be surprised, James, as you're nodding your head vigorously. I, yeah, because it would mean they like, First of all, like, look at the competition. Like, the teams that are good right now are really, really good. The teams that are good right now tend to, like, exploit those little advantages, like, relentlessly in the playoffs until they're the only ones left. Like, that's kind of what teams, though. You're the one who said things change. I'm this this is the whole point, right? You never know. I get you bet, like, how much. No, what what I'm saying is they, the, the, the Cavs, they show me the roadmap where they get that perfect guy at this starting small forward spot that's going to make this all make sense well i don't um, know i didn't know they can get donovan mitchell but like that's not my <laughs> I, I, that's... sure my, my point is i think it it gets a lot it gets hard now because they've given up a lot of what they had to play that's with fair. um i i would like they've to done the hard part out. they've I got mean, the all-star it, talent i think now now is like you know i think the margin well, marginal additions are what you want to be in a position to make Flip yes, Kevin Love for somebody who wants to, that you know, until, I don't know. You say that until it's like, well, the Lakers can't possibly screw this up. They have Anthony Davis and LeBron James. And it's like, okay, but no one else on the roster can play both ends of the floor. Did they and win a title? Like you can look. At, well, yeah, that is great. <laughs> I'm saying what the Lakers are now. I'm saying like, look at the, the I, I don't know what, no, no one is saying that the Lakers of right now can't be screwed up. In fact, everyone is saying the opposite. I'm saying at at the beginning, it was easy to say they can't possibly screw this up. Well, they found a way to screw it up by going completely all in on we have these three guys. The Cavs have said we have these four guys and we'll figure out the rest later. And it wasn't the Davis move that ended up being bad. It was the Westbrook move that ended up being bad because they gave up numerous helpful players for a guy who ended up not working out. And now they have no depth. Like they had maybe the worst collection of supporting players that I've ever seen. I get the comp um, you're making last but... year. I'm not saying this is similar. This is what this team actually reminds me of is like, like the Memphis Grizzlies for years and years had four really like great players, like solid starters that they could count on year after year. They never had that small forward and they, that put a ceiling on them. It meant every year they were trying to fill that hole. Somehow they were trading their first round pick every year. Um, to try to find that guy, the guy but that was, was worth it. Really there. I, I think that was we, worth it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if the Cavs end up a team that wins fifty games, like for an eight-year stretch or something like that, makes mm-hmm. multiple trips to the second round. I think one conference finals appearance. That's a pretty good outcome. Like it can't just be title or bust. I, I think that's a great. That's a great almost decade for your franchise. If you get that for a decade, sure. And the, the Los Angeles Clippers and Lob City, same thing. They had four guys who were awesome. And they had really good, like the net rating was always good in the regular season. They were good on both ends. They, they never had that small forward. And what I'm saying is it is going to be hard for the Cavs to fill that hole. I think it is going to be hard for the Cavs to even get to a point where they are at that level that I, that I just mentioned, where they are counted on to every year be like, 
kind of in that conversation about being a contender. I don't think this immediately vaults them into being a contender. I think like they have to prove that first. Like we'll we'll see how this all works. Um, what I'm saying is, I think like ultimately the way that the league is now, I put like more of a value on versatility and on spacing um, than just acquiring a talent. Like they got way more talented in this, in this deal, but they've also made it harder for them to become the kind of team, like in my opinion, that like is going to look like what the champions of today look like. Okay. So let's say, let's put it like this. What are your, what are your top six seeds for the East next year? Your own start with you before I get to, to James and his, um, opening it, I'm, I'm, I'm opening it up here. What's well, uh, Milwaukee, Boston, Philly, right? Three. Uh, we got here. Who am I? Get, read off some Brooklyn, four. Right? I'm not, this isn't necessarily in order. I'm just throwing teams out there. Um, I would put Miami, five. Uh, Cleveland, I'm going to put it in the top six. Uh, to, me, Cle- my, to me, Cleveland's kind of with Miami, honestly. Maybe you think I'm overrating them. I put them right there. If I'm prognosticating before the season in that sort of second tier. And then I have the uh, Chicago's uh, Atlanta, uh, Toronto. Is that basically covered? I believe so. Right. Does that make sense? Am I missing anyone? I think that's kind of the, and that's nine, right? If I just went over to me, like there are nine teams, there's a clear tier of nine. That tier can be divided into like three separate tiers. And I have Cleveland in that second one. Does that make sense? I, I think after the three of Boston, Milwaukee, Philly, I put them in that tier with Toronto, Miami, Brooklyn, uh, as just kind of high variance uh, teams that I can. And Brooklyn's impossible. I don't know. Like I don't know what the hell to do with Brooklyn. Like, yeah, they're, they're almost. They're, like, they're like, I, I think, I think Tor- Toronto could be a team that takes a big lead next year too. If Scotty Barnes gets better in the second season, and um, you know, I think we saw the second half of last year, the Raptors were very good, very dangerous. Yeah, I mean. James has the Hornets in the top four. Not anymore. No. (laughs) Um, (laughs) No, I I think I look at the East as like Boston at the top, Milwaukee's around there, Philly's around there, Brooklyn maybe, like they have the talent to be. Um, And then you kind of go down. I I think I do like Toronto and like Atlanta better than – Cleveland. I, I think I like Miami better than Cleveland um, right now. I I could be wrong. Like I, like I said, like Cleveland is insanely talented at, at the top of their roster. I just I I have a lot of quest. Like I have more questions about them more than anything. Like more more than those other teams there. Like I, I Chicago without knowing what the hell's happening with Lonzo Ball. I'm not going to say like I'm going to put them above Cleveland. Um, but like theoretically they could be too. I, I think the point is there's hardly anybody tanking. Um, there's a lot of teams that see themselves as like, we should be able to make the playoffs like straight up, like not be in the play-in. And some of those teams are going to wind up in the play-in. And I, I could like definitely see that happening to this Cavs team. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I just think, um, it's going to be kind of interesting next year in the East altogether. What happens there? I, I think one thing we might have to just kind of get readjusted to is maybe this is just not a big haul anymore. This is just what it costs to get an mm-hmm. all-star, a young officer, multi-year control player. Uh, and we just haven't adjusted. And we've also misunderstood the value of draft, not misunderstood. We've not adjusted to the, to the new value of draft picks to some degree. And you're, if free agency is no longer a path, 
And for the Cavs, it was never a path, I would say, to get these kinds of players. Like maybe we just internally have to recalibrate a little bit, you know? Can that, I mean, to me, here, I'll pivot for you, Mike. That leads to the Knicks because that's the part that confuses me is I guess the, the discussion during someone, you know, James, you would say it's he's not the guy to go for to use all those pieces with Mitchell, but, you know, the next guy oh. they're going to go after, the price is going to be the same. The price is going to be exactly the same. And they're going to have the same issues about not giving up all the pieces. And if so, then like, what are we doing here? Well, what, what's, what's the whole point of all this? And the, team building is fine, but like, that's not what Leon Rose was brought in to do. And that's not what his plan ever was. So that's the part that confuses me a little bit. Well, wh- who's the next guy? Like, it, well, that's the other but, fun part. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> There'll like, be somebody. I think the, the Knicks offered to me would have made a little more sense if they hadn't gone and gotten Brunson, which by the way, they had to give up stuff to clear right. other guys <laughs> to, to go and get Brunson. Um, but no, I mean, if they had done that, then like, what is their path toward getting another guy to play with Mitchell? Because if you look at that team and then we have the same discussion we just did about like, well, where do they fit into the East? Like, the, like Jalen Brunson, Donovan Mitchell, Knicks with no RJ Barrett, maybe with no Quentin Grimes, maybe with no, like all, all of this stuff. Like I they're squarely a play in team to me, if that right, like they, there's no way they're in the top six. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the Cavs are better than that. Like the Cavs, mm-hmm. I think it's like, they should be telling themselves that it like we are going to make the playoffs just, just because I'm saying, I don't know that they will like that, that like by virtue of the talent on the roster, um, they believe in the fit. They should think that this will all come together and they will be that type of team. If, if the Knicks did it, it wouldn't be that. Um, so I think it's a very different situation. I, I get what you're saying. You're like that the job theoretically was for Leon Rose to come in and like, you know, they would, they would develop their talent. They would stay patient, but they would stay nimble more than anything. And when there was a star player, they would pounce and they would pay the price. Um, but I also think that there's a cost, like you, you can't get too locked into that to the point where you are losing trades and to the point where you are making trades because you know, the fan base will be disappointed if you don't, or you are making trades because you are scared that you will not get another chance and that, um, you will, you know, regret missing out on this guy. Like you, it is foolish to go and give up more than you reasonably should based on where your roster is. Um, if that is the only way for you to get that guy, like I, I, I think based on where this got and based on the fact that the Cavs are offering what they were offering, which like, I don't think the Knicks were aware of based on all of the reporting. Yeah, that's, this, that's the funny it, part. I think it worked out okay for them. It, it was it was weird, but I preferred this to the alternative. I don't know. I, I hear you. Like, I can't – nothing you said is wrong, and there's no, like, you're an idiot. Like, there's no either side. Call me an idiot. Come on. You're a moron. The, uh, the idea that, like, I, I'm not going to argue strongly that the Knicks are idiots for not giving up literally everything for Donovan Mitchell, right? Like, I, I can't make that argument. To me, it just it just this feels like a miss, right? And just I'm gonna if you simplify it. It was a 26 year old top 25 in quotes. You, there's that term guy who wanted to be here, who would make a difference. That would be a significant first step for this team. Um, it, it just I and I think the Knicks. I do think every situation is different, right? I do think the Knicks, and I know you people can say look at history, not the case, but I do think the Knicks. And with Leon Rose in charge, I do think they're a team that could have there could have been exponential benefits from bringing in 
Adava Mitchell, maybe a bit of a snowball effect, right? And you do need the second guy to come. You need the first guy first. And I, I just think getting him in here and starting to turn the tide a bit about, no, like, this isn't BS. Like, we can actually get guys who want to be here who are young and good, which is something the Knicks, I don't know, when, how often have they had young, good players, right? Like, never. Um, it's just a miss. And, and and I do feel like what happens is you get, like, I understand not wanting to give up everything, but I do think in negotiations, it's easy to get caught up in the minutia and as opposed to taking a step back and being like, you know, in the day-to-day, you're haggling, oh, I don't want to top five protected. I refuse to give you fully unprotected in that fourth pick. I think that was one report. And again, I know all the reports, it's becoming a mess to keep track of. But like, I think if you take the step back and say, you know, like, are we really not going to do this because of Quentin Grimes? Are we really not going to do this because of like a full, we can't add that extra protection in the top five? I just, to me, that's just missing the forest and the trees. And I think it was a mistake. And I think it's probably going to end up costing Leon Rose and Thibodeau their jobs, I feel like, eventually. Well, I didn't know this was going to sports, like WFAN sports radio. Yeah. Top am wrong? This coach is, but this is the other thing. This is, but this is the other thing. I was just going to make a milk toast thing like Quentin Grimes is the most interesting player in New York next year. You're firing everybody. Already. It's not that I'm firing everyone, but James I, I Dolan. Think, I think this year is going to be a mess for them. I really do. I think it's going to be a mess, right? We saw last year was a mess. And I guess they got Jalen Brunson, but like the East is really good. What are they going to be? They're going to be fighting for 32 wins again. We Julius Randle still there. Um, Tibbs doesn't want to play young guys. He wants to, like, we know what his feelings are in terms of forget even why to play young guys or not. That's almost too simple. He, like, there's no way he's happy about them not having Donovan Mitchell, right? There's no, oh, of way. course not. No way that, like, that, and that stuff is not good for an organization. I just think, and we saw this filtering out last year where you had uh, Worldwide West trying to like backstab Tibbs to Dolan and like all this stuff was already happening. So, why after you miss the guys are things going to get better? I just think this year could really end up being a total mess. It could be, but I don't think that if it's a mess, it's because they didn't get Donovan Mitchell. I think it's because there were already problems. I I, I just, again, like... Because I, I think it would I, still stay a mess if they got Donovan Mitchell and still, like, didn't make the playoffs, which is a possibility if you're not a top that's, six. That's right? fair, too. That's fair, too. Because then you've leveraged your future, and I think I agree with James in that you're probably not a top six seed, and if you're not a top six seed, there's one-and-done possibilities, and then you're just, like, super screwed, basically. And I think that was a concern for them, too, because you get Donovan Mitchell, but then... What do you have left to build on top of that? Um, and who do you acquire to build on top of that? And with what? And especially since you're probably cleaning out, you know, your your cache of picks. And also, it seems like the trade, if they, if it were to happen, would have um, taken a lot of, of the young players out of the, you know, the organization too. The only thing about that, um, I mean, again, it's hard to keep track. I do feel like also there was a mistake here if just, James, I'm curious your feeling, right? Let's say um, if they had gone uh, pick a pick-heavy package, like if you were them, would you have felt more – if you're judging the Knicks, would you have felt more comfortable if they had said, basically take all the picks, don't take our young players? Would that have made you more comfortable or less comfortable? You know, I think- keeping, keeping RJ, keeping Grimes, maybe throwing an Obi Top and whatever, and just like take the four picks, the swaps, all of that, and we're going to go Donovan Mitchell and have our young good players who we know like – the idea that like, you know, we all joke about the first round picks. They're great until you actually have to use them. And then they become unvaluable because you realize the guy actually stinks. Uh, Grimes, we know doesn't stink. Like uh, to me, I just feel like there's an opportunity here for them to have done something interesting. And I don't know, they, they outsmarted themselves. I think I, I'm, I'm curious your thought on that. I don't have a simple answer. Cause I think it's a sliding scale. Like the, the fewer picks you give up, the more you're okay with losing some of the young guys and, and the inverse is true as well. And I think that probably was how the Knicks 
approach approach this negotiation and really to me like i think the point if you're getting down in a middle is like you want to be good so mm-hmm. you know would i be okay with giving up some young guys yeah i'd probably want to keep quentin grimes out of it if i could because he is a guy and of, rj of all of them of all of them i think quentin grimes is the one that like fits best probably with donovan mitchell is most like complimentary to what mitchell brings to the team um do i want obi Toppin in there um i'd probably be okay with putting him in in this deal but also like what are the other options what are the trade options out there if you're going to move a julius randall and open up space for obi Toppin? i don't know that information the knicks front office does and they decided that julius randall is going to come back and be on this team which is a separate but connected conversation to like what you're going to do with the young players here i think in general like if the sticking point was the draft picks and that was like the only difference and I was otherwise okay with the trade, then like, would I have moved the draft picks backwards and added like, and taken off some protection? Like, yeah, yeah. It's easy to say that I would. And I think like, probably I would have liked to have been given the chance to do that um, by the jazz with another phone call. Right. But if I wasn't okay with the rest of the deal anyway, and I thought I was giving up too much and I wasn't feeling comfortable with it, then I might kind of hold back. Like I, I think all of the offers that have been reported and I know it's like not black and white as to like what actually was an offer and some things might be offered at one time. And then later, like they're not quite on the table. Like, I don't know, but the stuff that I've read, it makes it seem like they were willing to give up quite a lot, like more than I might've mm-hmm. initially expected anyway, which is part of the reason why I am not saying they made a mistake here. Um, but but isn't that that's the other part that's interesting too, right? This is where like I I twist myself in circles. Is it uh, if they were willing to give up a lot and just got played in the played in the trade process? Like, is that a good sign either? Does that make sense? What I'm asking, right? Like that seems like what happened here too. Is they? No, yeah, I think you can say like they they played themselves a little bit. Like they went out and like maybe outsmarted themselves, acquiring all of those extra firsts with their draft night maneuvering. And maybe they thought that those would have been valued higher around the league when the jazz were just like, no, we want your picks and we want them unprotected. And we want your swaps. hundred percent. That was a mistake. They thought this care about the rest. They've been sure. doing the whole like a uh, protected, you know, 15. That was the whole thing with the Cam Reddish Ray and the horn. And you get these picks back and it's like, wait a second. These aren't real pit. Like these picks are nothing. They're protected to the top 20. And then they conveyed it two seconds. How many of those do they have? Right? Like nobody likes those. Nobody wants those. People want unprotected picks and they want to short the Knicks, which I get. <laughs> It depends what you're, I think what we're finding out is that if you are trading for like, like top level star players, people want that. You can upgrade your team at every deadline with somebody else's first round pick. You see it every year. You see Mm -hmm. teams making use of that stuff. And I I guarantee you the Knicks will use those, those draft picks, whether it's trading or whether they draft, I mean, they've drafted some pretty good players um, late in these drafts. Like that record that this front office has is actually pretty good. Yep. Um, They'll, they'll Mm -hmm. make use of those things. Um, I, I don't doubt that, but if they, if we are assuming that they got those thinking they would be able to use those to acquire a star this summer, or that they could convince a team that is trading a star or superstar that this is roughly equivalent to their own pick, like then no, like they, they were dead wrong on that front. You know, it's kind of interesting. They traded out, out of uh, 11 this year, I think in part, you know, for the picks, obviously, but I think they also thought from at least, um, it seems like one of the views is that they couldn't get someone who would be able to break kind of the rotation right now. Right. Um, 
with the young players that they have. And so if they're, so what do you do with the picks? If you think some years you won't be able to get a guy who breaks through in your rotation and you're assuming you won't bottom out and then your picks necessarily are not good enough to get like, you know, somebody who can help you substantially improve as a team. Um, ultimately you're kind of caught in this middle ground and you have to make a big move eventually. Right. Um, especially because I think the roster and the coach that they have there, there isn't a bottoming out coming unless something goes terribly wrong. A Tom Thibodeau team is not going to win 25 games. Well, uh, most likely a couple know? things, a couple things. One, um, it's not even just about Thibodeau in terms of making a move. Like the young players price out. Like soon you have to, they get extensions. Mm-hmm. You decide you want to pay them or flip them. And the second they get paid, they become less valuable. That's one. Two, in terms of what well, I completely agree with what you're saying in terms of like, well, if they were doing this and how does that jive with what they were doing here? And my answer to that always, I'm like, in a, is I go back to the story I wrote for the New York Post, was it two years ago already? Where like, As you speak with a framed cover of that New York <laughs> exactly. Post behind you. <laughs> exactly. So sometimes I think about like, am I taking crazy pills, right? Like I, that story, and I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'll say it's about all my stuff because I've had plenty. James will tell you the last page of my book aged horribly and that he warned me about it beforehand right so it's not that i'm <laughs> always patting myself on your book let me turn around that, go ahead keep talking it's not that i'm always patting myself on the back that like you know i nailed it but that story to me like that I, first i know the information was good i know like my reporting and like the whole idea of too many chefs in the kitchen and not only that but like an ins- a look at how you know a plan here isn't exactly like thought out and i'm like you've reported on this a little bit and like i think this is always Really important to remember, Leon Rose, I wrote this, Leon Rose did not, he was not somebody who was like spending years waiting to become a GM. This was not like a dream of his. He wasn't, he wasn't baking notes and like, he didn't have a deck ready to go about how I would save the Knicks and how I would go about this. Mike, you reported that in a story on him that basically that Dolan called CAA, right? Basically Dolan reached out and said, Hey, do you want to come here? And that was the first time Leon Rose had basically ever considered taking a GM job. Maybe he's talked about it with other people. If so, those have been really, really close confidants, like really tight circle of conversations. It's not like other agents or CAA colleagues knew that this was something he was interested in. Right. Yeah. I mean, even he, he, his next call was to his bosses at TA saying, Hey, uh, can we talk? I just got a call about running the Knicks right. and they're so- like, yeah, let's discuss this. Exactly. So, so to awesome, me, this is to, it's a list. So to me, this is always important because the backdrop, like he did not come in with this super duper plan. Like I compared, you know, Steve Kerr when he was becoming the head coach of the, uh, when he was broadcasting, wanted to become the head coach. He and he was doing the TNT stuff. He was building like a notebook of files and like interviews and X's and O's and things he learned uh, and philosophies. Not Leon Rose. Then he comes in here and he hires all these different dudes. And he hires, and the Knicks fans know them all, but it's Tom Thibodeau and this World Wide West and this guy Brock Aller and Thibodeau and this guy Brock Aller are going at it in their first in their first offseason because Leon Rose never told in never internally laid out to the new hires what our plan is. Like never. This has never happened. Never said, hey, we want to make the playoffs next year. Hey, we're gonna rebuild. Never happened. And from the start, that was an issue. And from the start, this was like, oh, maybe on Monday we're doing the uh, hey, let's flip some picks and pull some Sam Hinkie stuff, right? And let's trade back and turn this first round pick into four future first round picks and then get this guy and get the future rights to this guy and the international rights to player X and yada yada. And the next day, Tom Thibodeau is not playing Cam Reddish, right? Because he didn't want to see it. Like, this is just, this is, and or is lobbying for Gordon Hayward or whatever, right? Or, you know, and you have Kemba Walker come in because the front office wants him. Thibodeau never wanted him. Things like that, right? 
Uh, I believe I got that right. If I got that wrong, sorry. But I believe is reporting. I think I forget my own reporting. But I think. And by the way, to back up your point, <laughs> the guy who. <laughs> why don't you take a minute, Google it, come back to us? Did I do that? I don't know, Kemba. We can all agree the Kemba thing didn't work okay. out, right? Stream of consciousness, as you self-correct, and maybe we have to yeah. stop this for you to run a correction. Nah, we're good. Um, if just nobody, I don't think if anyone listens, like that's not. Uh, don't put that in stone. That like I said, you know, that I said Thibodeau didn't want Kemba. Okay, let's just say that was an example. I think Gary Washburn in the Boston Globe just reported the guy who was running the trade right, negotiations exactly. for the Mitchell trade was Gerson Rosas, uh, who's just fired in Minnesota like a year ago and hired as a consultant, which I take it to mean he's maybe now on staff. And then you wonder if he was hired as a consultant specifically for this reason. Um, and that Danny Ainge and Leon Rose never talk. You know, and the one thing you hear about, you know, talking to other team execs is like there is a question there, as you said, of who's running things and who's the guy to talk to about. Um to talk to you about everything with the Knicks. And, it, you know, this this remains, I think, a question. I, I think it is. And it's huge. So, like, sometimes I, I I have trouble going back. I'm bringing up that story. Like, going back to, like, when I reported that story and wrote that. And everything I know since then and all my reporting since then and all other people's reporting since then and conversations and all this and everything I know about the background of these guys. Like, I have trouble thinking that, no, there's some master plan now, right, that they've had that, like, on the board it was like, you know what? We'll trade for Donovan Mitchell, but only to this point because we want to get the next guy. And if Donovan Mitchell thing doesn't work out, then our board says, you know, the uh, we have intel saying that superstar Y is going to be available and him we can come. Like, I don't see any of that happening here. I really don't. And I don't think that's me being a cynic. It's based on reporting, not like up to date, but in terms of the in the past and how this thing got put together. And just that to me is the part where I go like, what they do here? How do you, if that all being the case, how do you not just pull the trigger and get Mitchell? End of rant. <laughs> I, I want to pull something together from what we were talking about a little bit before we got into the next dysfunction um, and what we were talking about previously with Cleveland. So you were talking about the basically like the, the Tibbs problem, like they got Cam Reddish, he didn't play him. I think you look at the Knicks roster and you have a team that has like a ton of depth, like a lot of like players who can like confidently say I should be playing X minutes a night, whatever. I should have an And they do have that. Yeah. Like a bunch of good players, but they are not talented enough. They are not good enough for that to matter so much. Like what they need is a consolidation trade. Um, so they could package some of that stuff and get a, a theoretical star, keep enough of those guys so they can like incrementally get better and become a team that has like, you know, three, two to three stars. And then, four to five to six to, if you're really lucky, seven really good role players who compliment them. And those are the teams that win a championship. You have the Cavs, the team we were talking about before that they have now four awesome players. And then beyond that, like the, like players five through 12, the Knicks kick their ass like completely. Um, so, uh, but- what do you think about Donovan Mitchell trade to New York? <laughs> Knicks get Mitchell, Cavs get those five through 12 guys. Well, I mean, if the Donovan Mitchell thing in Cleveland doesn't work out in two years, there's going to be rumors like that. You know it and I know it. Um, but my point in saying that is that, like, this thing is hard. Like, it is hard to make everything line up at the right time. And the reason why I was critical of the Cavs um kind of roster makeup is because for a team that is like actively trying to win at the moment um which i think they're signaling that they're trying to do right like i don't think they have the proper like role players and the proper sort of team structure to do that at a super high level in the playoffs maybe they do in the regular season even i'm not sure um but that 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 is my read on them right now 
Um, then at the same time, you look you look at the the Knicks, and it's like I I kind of like most of the players on that team. I'm not I do too, by the way. Reddish guy, but I do think he should be like playing basketball in the NBA, like getting minutes, not just like sitting on the outskirts. Man, of what is he? Twenty two years like, old? If, is he yeah. Exactly, yeah. Like he played like he played real minutes for a Hawks team that was good um, before he got hurt. He had, you know, wasn't that long ago that he had came into the playoffs after not playing in like but yeah, he was, yeah, months he was good games, like, made a bunch of threes and changed a playoff game. Um, like he's young. He, it was a good value move when they got him, but it, he just doesn't make sense on the roster. And I think like the job, like the reason why it's hard is that you want to time this thing correctly. And, and I think, both of these teams are like multiple moves away um, from having a team that like completely makes sense for where they are in their development process. The Knicks are further behind in terms of talent, which I think is why they didn't end up giving up all that stuff for Mitchell. Um, But it's also why you look at their team and you're like, all right, like I love Isaiah Hartenstein. Like, does he like, is this the team that I would pick for him to be on? Like, I don't know. Like, it's fine, I guess. You know what I mean? I but, like Arnstein signing, by the way. No, but I, James, you're saying as, like an, as an NBA fan, you want to see him on the Sixers as their backup center, make an example. Right? I would like, love that, yeah. Something like that. Yeah, like, yeah. no, I get what you're saying, right. See, the thing about the Knicks, but that in terms of not having the talent, that's also partly their own fault. Not like for the obvious reasons where like you miss draft picks, yada, yada. Um, you know, it's just like playing the guys. <laughs> How do you know if you don't play the guys? How do you know if you don't see let Obi top and play more than 16 minutes and you – squeeze quickly and they also paid randall which was a mistake um one that i don't think many of us i don't i thought it was an okay extension um it just yeah i, just I don't still think it. it's an okay extension by the way i think the, the the problem with randall and the knicks now is not necessarily the contract it's kind of the fit and uh all the baggage that's now you know that's fair that's fair in the, in the moment the, the number is good he's just uh not good <laughs> to put it lightly he, he has to play a lot better than he did last year for it to start looking good again but i don't think that like you just look at last year and say that's who randall is now forever but it is again going back to the front office so they've been two well yeah three years with the pandemic i lose track but basically two and a half years being in charge and they've paid julius randall and jalen brunson are two guys who they've paid right and if i told you when leon rose came in and rj barrett and rj barrett okay so if what i've told you that when leon rose came in three guys and two of them would be brunson and julius randall that that wasn't that wasn't that wasn't the pitch. That wasn't what Knicks fans were. And any Knicks fan who says, "No, I'd be cool with that," like that's not what they were saying. If you look back at the the message, do message boards still exist? I'm going to use that as a no. W- it's term. called Twitter. On, on um, the tweets, yeah. Real let, GM. Let, let, yeah. Look at the real GM forums. Let's let's end it there before we become a little too circular. Uh, I want to end it with uh, a segment I'm rolling out. It's called the short twos. I'm going to ask you two quick questions, and I just want you guys to give me an answer. Okay, James, quick. Okay, quick. I mean, I'll take longer. It's fine if you really feel passionate about it. All right. So here's here's my first question to both of you. Um, at a wedding. I feel like I'm on Family Feud. At a wedding, how do you judge how good the food was? Is it cocktail hour or dinner? Uh, cocktail hour. We call it in my religion the, uh, the smorgasbord, the smorg. Smorg. <laughs> okay. I would say the dinner. That just feels like the more important part of it, but. Really? I'm not super passionate. I, my, like, like, my opinion is not super strong. I, mine is, like, I think cocktail hour is where you have to nail it. I think First that's of all, people that... really figure out, like, the, if, you, if you don't nail cocktail hour, I think people maybe you just kind of go into dinner a little bit underwhelmed, you know? 
first of all, it's more the opportunity for more creativity, right? Maybe a yes. carving station, maybe some like uh, sliders, maybe something like that, you know, a little station like that. Uh, that's one. Two, by dinner, I am usually too many tequilas or whiskeys in where it could be just a bread basket and I'm happy. So it doesn't make a difference. So the the uh, cocktail hour, aka the schmorg, Google it, is the uh, correct answer. That might be a, a Twitter poll question once this uh, when this this comes out. Do you call cocktail hour the schmorg? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was going to say the other worry is if, if you don't get the cocktail hour food right and there's not enough of it, people are still drinking and you could get to a very dangerous dinner time. Not enough. No, if there's a, again, I know like not an, everyone has their own financial uh, backgrounds, whatever, but not enough should not happen. That should, that, that should not be happening. You should be adjusting and making sure that whatever you choose, there's enough food. Okay. All right. Uh, and the other question I've been asking uh, everyone lately uh, by lately, I mean the last two times I did this podcast, which is a very long time ago. What's your go-to restaurant uh, when you need a good meal and just want to get out? Mm, James, I'm going to have a bad answer. James, you go. And by, by, let, me, let me say this to so make this a little universal. So no matter where you live, what's your go-to restaurant? That's a franchise, right? Like that's regional or oh. national chain. It has to be a franchise. Now you're killing me. Yeah. I mean, you can go someplace in like Brooklyn, uh, but like, you know, there's a lot of people who don't live in Brooklyn. What's your, uh, so what's your go to chain? Do, a lot of people do live in Brooklyn. A lot of people do, but the uh, uh, most people in America do not. I am looking at my Uber Eats history for when I traveled. Give me <laughs> to, okay. see what I, to see what I queue up. I James, mean, give an we're answer. We're talking about chain, chain restaurants. Like, with, I'm like an NBA player. I love a Cheesecake Factory, but like, Jeez. I don't. <sighs> I can know. I can go on? Can I can I make an admission? There's a Taco Bell opening around the corner from me, and I'm actually very excited. I don't think you should be ashamed about that. Okay, great. I am looking. Can I say uh, Baskin Robbins? No, Insomnia Cookies. I'm looking. <laughs> I'm, I'm. You could do Baskin my, Robbins. Ice my cream Uber Eats history is is uh, revealing. Oh, uh, coffee doesn't count. Coffee doesn't count. Well, so I'm uh, I'm I'm kosher, so I throw it off. So I'm a tough. Means, like I just try to find it. Like if the, the honest answer is like wherever I am, like if I like I want to find what the good pizza is, and then I want to go get it. Like that is that is so, so Domino's. No, 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 absolutely not pizza. I will only eat pizza. No, you play to the city strengths. Okay, I don't think you go pizza outside of like two. I mean, Connecticut people will tell you three states, but two states really. You can find good pizza virtually anywhere. I, I no, thank you. If There's always a pizza hut. Yeah, that's not what I'm saying. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm also not like too good for Pizza Hut. Like as a kid, I like loved Pizza Hut. It was like I am too good thing. for Pizza Hut. Domino's wings actually underrated. You know what ruined Domino's? There's a Domino's, and I'm gonna get sued. I don't care because it's disgusting. There's a Domino's on sued by who? Domino's on uh, on for defamation, but it's not that it's true. There's okay. a Domino's on Columbus, and I want to say about 89th, 90th. And when I lived on the Upper West Side after college, I had some friends who like I would walk past that Domino's all the time to get there from my apartment. And when I tell you this Domino's smelled like vomit, it was the most disgusting smell. And you smelled it. Anybody who doesn't knows that one. And for some reason, I know all Domino's smell like this, kind of like how Subway's bread has that smell where it's like, it's mm -hmm. not bread. I don't know what that smell is. Uh, but Domino's, it smelled horrendous. It would make me nauseous and <laughs> make me lose my appetite. And to be making pizza for the smell of pizza, one of the most incredibly smelling 
things in the world. Delicious. Usually you get a whiff of pizza. You just want to down a pie. For a, a place that's ostensibly making pizza for the whiff from coming from there to be so bad that it causes you to lose your appetite. Embarrassing. I will say this. I This is not, this is maybe buying into their marketing campaign a little bit, but I think it's legit. Ever since they rolled out their new recipe or redoing their whatever, it, it is better. It is better. I'll say that. I'll give Domino's credit for that. What's the new recipe? I don't know. They rolled it out like eight years ago or five years ago or whatever. But, and it's, it's improved. I've had uh, Domino's yeah. a couple of times here. Like I, I like Domino's a lot more when I was living in Toronto. I don't know like what well, it is. The, like, like the cheese is weird or something, at least from my local one. Like, I can. <laughs> you don't say. You, the, the Domino's cheese is weird. You, the, the the chain plate. The ninety nine. Compared to the the, the the Domino's that I was used to eating, I found it weird. Can I ask you now? Is Canadian Domino's like super awesome? Is that the thing we're missing out on here in America? Is good Domino's like in Canada? Is it fresh? Do you guys I get? Had, I know we're on a tangent now. Do you get as confused every time I'm in New York City, Manhattan, let's say, or like Brooklyn, places like that, um, populous places, and I see people eating in a pizza chain in a chain place. I'm always very confused. Like there's a Sabaros on Penn that I always have to get out by the garden, right? And it's always got people in there. And I'm like, why would you go to any of these places when every block there is a half decent pizza place around? Why would you eat Domino's, Sabaros, Sabaros is for this? All the I I just it confuses me. Cause it's cheaper, because uh, it's familiar. I don't know. I've is had, it even I've cheaper? Had, I've had chain pizza a few times since I've come here. I'm not like above it but it's not very often anymore <laughs> like it's really not i i had dominoes a lot more as stated previously when i lived in canada although mm-hmm. the last time i had it i was in massachusetts and it was actually it was it was very good it was like the one that i remembered from from toronto i don't know be better than dominoes near me be better than dominoes same one that you were near <laughs> uh all right let, let's end it there um we'll let listeners debate uh the merits of dominoes and if dominoes is better here in canada or whatever the case may be uh, guys, I appreciate you coming on. What about Domino's own. at a cocktail hour? Huh? That would be an interesting. I mean, people do that thing where they get like the food truck or uh, something after the dinner, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, 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 which yeah. is like, I feel like just flaunting it a little bit, maybe just just a bit much. Um, you know, I know like weddings, especially here in the Northeast and the Tri-State area are really garish, but I feel like maybe pulling up with a food truck after you've already had cocktail hour and dinner is like, just throwing money bucks out there. Uh, I only experienced that once, and it felt like like a magical experience. Like, where did this yeah. come from? How? Did yeah, it I don't. Know. This is amazing. So I can't knock it. No, no, no. I mean, it's a great surprise if you're at it. It's just like you're just you're just kind of showing off at that point, right? You're saying like I'm a max extension type of guy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right, so let, let's end it there, guys. Uh, your own. Uh, find him at Fox Sports. Follow him on Twitter at your own Weitzman. Uh, James, follow him on Twitter outside the NBA. Uh, guys, thanks for doing this, and I, uh, I hope we can repeat it another time. Anytime. See you.